Hello, everybody, and welcome back, yes, back, to another episode of the MMA Archive. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, Primitive's on the shirt. You already know it's time to get back into these UFC events. So this week, <clears throat> as always, we're moving right along on this UFC schedule. We've got UFC 11 and a half. So you know what that means. The ultimate, ultimate 1996 edition. This one's taking place on December 7th, 1996 at the Fair Park Arena in Birmingham, Alabama. 6,000 people were in attendance on this night. And the TV announcers were Bruce Beck, Jeff Blatnick, the ring announcer for tonight's fights was Manny Garcia and the post-fight um, interviewer was Tony Blauer. So we've got some new faces in the commentary slash announcer booth and we got a big tournament on our hands, man. This is another one of those instances, unfortunately, where the tournament format sort of lets us down, makes us feel real dirty inside because what we could have had what we end up having are two different things. So let's start off with the saddest news of the entire event. After the last UFC event, everything was so hyped up because, of course, Mark Coleman ended up winning by default because there was nobody to sort of step in and um, take the place of Scott Ferrozo, who was injured and unable to fight after that war with Tank Abbott. So it was billed, you know, the next next tournament, we're going to have Mark Coleman defend his title. It's going to be great. Unfortunately, he came up with the flu and couldn't compete. So off rip, we already got a big shakeup to this entire situation. And we got we to gotta roll with the punches. We got to roll with the punches. So Mark Coleman's out. Paul Verlins is in. The polar bear, RIP. It's only right that we start this thing off with a bang. They started this event with a big old parental discretion is advised, which I found hilarious. I had to put it in all caps. I was like, I can't believe <laughs> that they actually did that. <laughs> Trying to, you know, capitalize off that, um, that hip hop uh, label that they put on the um, CDs back in the day. Parental discretion is advised. So, Heed their advice if you can. Cover up those ears of your children, and let's get right into it. So these are some of the names in this tournament, man. We got Don Fry, two-time UFC tournament champion. Ken Shamrock, two-time. <clears throat> what is that called? Featured bout winner. Sorry about that. Tank Abbott and Gary Goodrich. These are just some of the big names in this tournament. Obviously, you know Paul Varlins is here as well. And we got a new rule. I think this is important to note because I've been sort of waiting for this to happen. Um, you are now not supposed to grab the fence for prolonged periods of time. It's not the way it is now where you can't grab it at all. It's just for a prolonged period of time. So Something to note moving forward, you know, changing the way MMA is sort of um, sanctioned now, you know, um, and it kept going down that same route. I always kind of 
it felt dirty, you know, when so, when these guys were using it just to get pure leverage. And who knows, as you know, whenever they try to implement these new rules, they don't really pan out the way they intended to. So we'll keep an eye on that during this event. Now, obviously, let's go right into the alternate bouts. As you all know, I ain't got no footage, man. <laughs> I'm upset. I wish there was a way that I could watch these fights, but there isn't. So I'm just going to run through them real quick. We got Ty Bowden coming up against Jack Nilsson. Ty was 0-1 in the UFC after losing to Steve Nelmark by Dr. Stoppage at UFC 9. Jack Nilsson making his UFC debut in this fight. Ty Bowden ended up cooking him. And actually, they did show some highlights of this one. So this is the only one I really did see a little bit of. Spoiler alert, if you think hard enough. But um, Ty Bowden ends up winning via submission due to headbutts. And it was pretty bad. Like, you see the little flurry of headbutts. He looked like he was going out from them. Um, surprisingly, he didn't, and he ended up tapping. Um, but it looked bad um, from the replay that I saw. Obviously, I didn't see the full fight. It was just a little highlight that they showed on the broadcast. Um but Ty Bowden's able to pick up the win there. I hate writing in via submission due to strikes or due to headbutts. Cause in my head, I'm like, should that be considered a knockout now? Like, I, I don't know. Either way, via submission to headbutts. Next up, we got Steve Nelmark coming up against Marcus Bossett. Steve is 1 0 in the UFC, making his debut at UFC 9, where he defeated Ty Bowden, as I mentioned earlier, by Dr. Stoppage. Uh, Marcus Bassett made his UFC debut at UFC 4, beating Eldo Diaz Xavier as an alternate and is 1-1 one one in his UFC career. Uh, Nelmark ended up winning this one via submission due to a choke at 1 minute and 37 seconds. Um, once again, I ain't got no footage, man. So we're going to just keep it rolling here. Uh, Mark Hall, the infamous Mark Hall versus Felix Mitchell, both guys who you should be pretty familiar with by this time. Mark Hall is 3-3 three and three in the UFC, while Felix Mitchell is 0-2. Uh, Mark Hall ended up beating that ass and getting the TKO victory at a minute and 45. So we're rolling, baby. On to the quarterfinal bouts, and I actually have something to talk about, which is great. Um, when I saw this matchup, I was pumped because this is the all sauce matchup, the juice of all juice. We've got Brian Johnston standing at six foot four, 238, coming up against The Rock, Ken Shamrock. Funny enough, the ring announcer didn't even list his height or weight, and they never showed a tail of the tape. So I couldn't give you the exact, the exact measurements on Ken Shamrock. But Brian Johnson, as you know, is two and two in the UFC. He made his UFC debut at UFC 10. And Ken Shamrock is five, two and two. Um, and obviously undefeated in UFC super fights. But this is a tournament. So keep your eye out. Um, he's not undefeated in tournaments whatsoever. Uh, so both guys come out in orthodox in this one. Um, Brian did a really good job keeping him at distance with the jab at the start, even fainting it a little bit sort of incentivize him not to close the distance but he messed up and every time i watch this back because i watched the sequence back a couple times it just really speaks to the fact that you know in modern day mma this this still happens like how, how does this still happen 
Um, he just threw a huge naked leg kick trying to take out Ken Shamrock's legs with one kick and immediately gets taken down with it by a double leg. And I'm not going to lie, this one this one was a little tough to watch. You know, Shamrock postures up, lands some really nice hammer fists, and then takes his time, starts, you know, picking his shots, and he landed a big right hand that you hear it through the mat. You know, that was impactful. And from that point, you know, Shamrock just really postures up and tries to finish it. Um, he goes, he, he really lands full extension, you know, shots where he's sort of lifting himself up as far as he can go and then driving down with that right hand. I counted 12 of them in a row. Um, I thought, please, you know, stop this big John what's going on, you know, unanswered punches like that, especially on the ground when their head is on the canvas. Um, it's just brain trauma, dude. Like this is not the place stop the damn fight, but he didn't, he didn't care. And I guess it's the right call because ultimately Shamrock gets a little bit tired and he stops, you know, trying to finish when, with those, you know, ground and pound um, shots. And there was at one point where he went and grabbed the fence with his hand. Um, as I always mention that he does to sort of keep um, Brian Johnson in place. And then you hear big John start to scream at him to let go of the fence or else I'm going to take your position, uh, which is good to see. Cause at least you're trying to, you know, um, <laughs> you're trying to enforce. Ooh, excuse me. I'm exhausted. So I'm probably going to keep yawning the rest of the <laughs> podcast here, but um you're really trying to do everything you can to sort of um, enforce these new rules. If you're going to put them in, might as well enforce them. And at least he's trying. It doesn't stop Ken, though. He just keeps him close, keeps landing little pot shots whenever he gets a little chance to. And eventually, Ken does sign old school, man. He just slides that forearm right across Brian's neck. And from the angle the camera was recording, you couldn't exactly tell that it was uh, across his neck because his all you see is Ken Shamrock's back and he's like driving into Brian Johnston. So that's where I was able to figure out, you know, that's why he's driving in because he got his forearm across his damn neck and he's trying to submit him. And he does get Brian Johnston to tap, man, at five minutes and 48 seconds it was a big surprise to me i felt like this fight the hype that i had for it coming in it didn't really deliver or play out the way that i thought it could i felt like brian johnson especially in the striking could have really gave ken shamrock some fits uh but credit to shamrock you know he read read the the timing of uh brian johnson was able to get a nice takedown off that leg kick and then just took control of the fight from there so Another big win on the resume of Ken Shamrock, if you ask me, because I think Brian Johnson's good, even though his record is now two and three. Um, the skills are there. The The body type is there. Like he he's he would he is one of those modern UFC fighters. Not that he's would fit in in the UFC today, um, but he you would think he has the full package and his athleticism definitely speaks to that. But anyway, our next quarterfinal bout is between Don Fry and Gary Goodridge. If you guys remember correctly, this is a rematch. This is a rematch of 
the finals of UFC 10. Um, so, no, I'm sorry. Of USC 8. There we go. I knew I was wrong when I said that. Um, so, rematch of the finals of UFC 8. And we're getting in the first round of the tournament. So, uh, pretty good if you ask me. I feel like the ultimate ultimate always delivers. And this is a great first quarterfinal matchup. So Don Fry, six foot, 217 pounds. Gary Goodrich, six foot three, 263 pounds. Um, Don Fry is six and one in the UFC with his uh, last fight being the finals of UFC 10, uh, where he unfortunately lost to Mark Coleman. Um, he's a two-time tournament champion. And Gary Goodrich is three and three with his last fight also being the semifinal loss to Mark Coleman, where he ended up becoming the champion at UFC 10. So you can't be too mad if you're either, guys. If you ask me, uh, you lost to the champion, man. Can't be too upset. But Gary runs right across the cage to tie up with Don Fry, which I thought was questionable considering how the first fight went. Um, but Fry lands a nice little short right hand as he comes in. They clinch up and... You know, Fry starts landing some really nasty short uppercuts, hooks, knees to the body, just any punishing blow to really remind Gary that he doesn't want to be in that spot. And <laughs> this is going to sound stupid uh, because I've always seen the clip, but I never watched the fights or really understood who Don Fry was um, until obviously I watched through these events. But I kind of had an epiphany moment where I'm watching <laughs> Don Fry just ripping in the clinch, ripping big hooks, big uppercuts. I'm like, this is the guy that fought Takayama and did all that crazy shit in the clinch. And I know that sounds stupid as hell. I know, I always knew it was Don Fry Takayama, that fight, that clip, that iconic moment that, you know, everyone is picturing right now as, as I'm speaking. Um, but it kind of all clicked for me in this moment. I was like, yeah, he really does. He really does like striking in the clinch and he'll take one to give one. So it, it's funny to think that that's where um, he's headed later on in his career. Um, but this was more one-sided if you ask me, uh, but things got a little hairy, man. Gary uncorked a huge uppercut that landed flush and rocked down fry. Like you saw he, it made him rethink um, sort of pressing forward the way he was and with that same hand, he brought it up and threw a hook and cracked him again. And I'm like, man, is he going to, like, drop him? Like, because he looked hurt. He looked wobbled. Um, but Fry stood on his feet and sort of falls forward into a clinch and starts landing knees to the groin, uh, which at this point is still legal. And he ends up answering with a nice right hook. It was a short right hook. Um, but you you heard it land like that's how you know um, it was a big shot. Um, so that that was really fun, like a little a little fun exchange right there where both guys were hurt. Um, and then from this point on, man, it was just trench warfare. Like dig yourself a trench. You're gonna be here for a couple days. These guys were in the clinch and just bombing on each other, taking turns, landing shots. Finally, after some time where they were just back and forth throwing punches like that, Gary Goodrich was able to separate and land a nice hook. Um, but Fry just dives right into the clinch after that, pushing him into the fence. 
And Gary was very smart in that moment. You know, he let himself fall back into the fence. And as soon as he hit it, he used that momentum to sort of get an outside trip and land on top inside control. So um, if I remember, this was one of the more definitive takedowns that Don Fry has given up in his career, you know, just into a dominant position. And Gary Goodrich hits hard, man. We saw that in that Paul Herrera fight. Watch out for them elbows. I'm a little nervous now as someone who admittedly um, roots for Don Fry because this is a guy that I mentioned earlier. He's everything that you thought Brian Johnston could be. Like, this man can strike. He can wrestle. He can put on the pace. Um, He got it all as an MMA fighter at this point. And I would say still to this moment there wasn't really anybody else like him in that way because yeah Dan Severn's a beast in the grappling aspects of things same thing with Mark Coleman obviously he has some nice crazy ground and pound but as far as mixing in the stand-up with all of that um Don Fry is that guy you know what I'm saying and I love watching him fight so I, I will admit I I'm a little I'm a little biased I'm leaning a little to my guy um but when he gave up that takedown, I was shook. I'm like, that that's not a good spot. Um, but he eventually works to get his guard back and does a good job of keeping Gary there, preventing him from advancing his position. Finally, Fry throws up an armbar attempt. And it was not a good armbar attempt. Like, his arm was through, um, through his legs, like past the shoulder almost. So, yeah, you could have caught it and extended it on the way out um, as he's sort of trying to rip his arm out. Um, but it's not on, it's not like it was ever extended. Um, but it got Gary to react and that, and that's what he was trying to do from that position. Um, he ends up throwing up a second arm bar. Um, and that time Gary just shucked it to the side and ended up on top with Fry in sort of a turtle position. And Goodrich did something weird here. Um, he decides to stand up but into the front headlock. Now, once again, we've seen this exact sequence in the first fight. I don't know if you guys remember, um, but where Goodridge is forcing that front headlock and then Don Don Fry just drives through it and is able to get the takedown. And that's exactly what happens. Um, So now Fry's on top. And as soon as he landed in sort of a, I guess it was like a half guard position, uh, Gary Goodrich just tapped immediately. And for a second, I thought he was may have had some sort of injury or something. Um, but after the fight, he just stood there on the ground. It was huffing wind. And it gets listed as a TKO due to fatigue at 11 minutes and 19 seconds. This was a this was a freaking war, man. I don't blame him. Um, <laughs> I don't blame him at all. It was back and forth, a lot of action. And that's just the way it ended up, man. Shout out to Don Fry for finding a way, even when he was having some trouble out there. But next up, our third quarterfinal bout of the night, we have David Tank Abbott coming up against Cal Worsham. Tank Abbott is six foot, 273, while Cal Worsham is 5'10", 230 pounds. Tank is four and three in the UFC with his last fight being a loss to Scott Ferrozo at UFC 11, while Kyle Worsham is 1-1 one one with his last fight coming at UFC 9 
via a TKO win. I needed that. So as always, both men come out in orthodox and Worsham starts off the fight with two nice straight right hands uh, that forces Tank to shoot for a takedown. And this was hilarious, dude. <laughs> this isn't the first time that um, Tank found himself in a position like this, uh, but he goes for a really nice double leg, gets full extension, picks him up, and almost has him falling out of the cage. Cal's sort of holding on to the top for dear life, doesn't want to let go, and Tank is just trying to pull him off, like yank him off of it midair while just holding him in the air. Uh, the, the power on that man is insane. Um, but Cal's just holding on, and eventually um, you hear Big John trying to argue with him like to let it go, and then he just stops <laughs> because he knows if he lets it go, he's just going to fall straight on his ass like from that position. So you can't really force him to let go um, when you could potentially fall out of the cage. But um, I found this hilarious because as he's sort of trying to pry him off and he's holding on, Tank decides to rush back into him and sort of pin him up against the fence. So he's suspended in the air, like looking down at Tank. And then was like, you know what? Starts throwing punches. I love that. I feel like that happens so much in the early UFCs. Like they look and they're like, oh, actually, I could crack you from here. And then they start landing punches. So he starts, like, throwing these, like, side-winding punches, trying to crack Tank as best as he can from that position. Um, but Tank is finally able to pull him down and end up in top control. So Cal tries to make some space by kicking Tank. And then you see Tank start to attack what I can only describe as, like, a Kimura type lock, but on his leg, um, like trying to just straight up manually rip apart his knee. Like it was the weirdest thing ever because you see him go like really strain on it. And then he's like, ah, oh, that ain't doing shit. And then just goes back to side control. So I found that hilarious. That was one of the more funny moments of the night for me. Uh, Tank starts landing some effective ground and pound. Uh, which eventually forces Cal to, to tap. Um, but as he does, you can see he's like reaching his hand out. He starts to tap. And as soon as he does that, Tank lands a big elbow. And Cal Worsham freaks the fuck out. Like he stands up and he's screaming. Big John is trying to separate them. Big John already pulled Tank off and is sort of walking him to the other side. And Cal's freaking out. He starts running towards them and he's screaming, fuck you, and chasing towards them. Finally, Big John, you know, pushes, <laughs> pushes Tank and then just turns around and grabs Cal Worsham and drives him all the way to the fence and looks him straight, like, straight in the face. Like, they're like this. Like, they could have, you know, they could have got a little homosexual right there. You know what I'm saying? Like, there was a, a second away from kissing each other. Um, but he looks him right in the eyes. He goes, knock it off, like, four times in, like, the most policeman way possible. Like, shout out to Big John. A lot of people talk shit about Big John. A lot of people say that he's not a good commentator or whatever the case may be. A lot of people try to slander him, but he's a G. 
he's not scared of these guys and he'll fucking lay into them when he has to and in these early days it's been really cool to see um sort of how his personality blossomed because you can see in a lot of ways he's still he's still a young man (laughs) during all of this which is pretty pretty funny to say so Cal's screaming, you know, he wants Tank to be DQ'd, uh, but he raises his hand anyway at two minutes and 51 seconds of the first round. Tank moves on, even though there's a little bit of controversy there at the end. Um, let's get to our final quarterfinal bout. So we've got Chemo Leopoldo stepping in, oh no, sorry, against Paul Varlins, who is stepping in for Mark Coleman, as I mentioned earlier. Now, this was really interesting to note because he looked drastically different. Um, He used to come in, I think it was around the 240-ish, 250-ish mark. Uh, Kimo weighed in at 6'1", 235 this time. So he was really svelte, came in in shape and ready to rock against the huge uh, 6'8", 340-pound, Paul Varlins. Varlins is a G. I love watching him fight, man. He's an all-action fighter. Uh, but Kimo is 0-2 in the UFC with both losses coming to Hoist Gracie and Ken Shamrock, while Paul Varlins is 4-3 and in the UFC with his last fight being at UFC 8. So uh, <laughs> uh, Kimo sort of runs right across the, to the fence into a John Smith low single just just trying to get Paul down as soon as the fight starts. Uh, but Paul actually does a good job of stacking him and, you know, staying on top of him uh, so that he he doesn't have the leverage to to get on top from that John Smith low single. Um, shout out, shout out, John. You, you see what I'm doing there? Yeah, I know some of you wrestlers out there appreciate that. But um, Paul Varlins is a savage and he's a, he's getting attacked down low but he's finding opportunities to punch chemo in the head. Like every single time he gets a chance, he's hammering him and then trying to punish him for going for those takedowns. It was really impressive, really smart strategy. And chemo is just pushing the takedown, pushing the takedown. He pushes Paul up to the fence and chemo's just getting cracked, man. Elbows, punches. Like Paul is just relentless, trying to take him out from a position where you can't really generate too much power. You know, you're being pushed into the fence, um, but you're still trying to do everything you can to land those shots. Uh, Kimo is just getting battered. Like, let's be real. Um, So he goes for another single leg. He ends up picking his leg up pretty high, uh, but because he's right up against the fence, he can't get him down. And he just keeps pushing. So I really respect Kimo, man. Like, people talk a lot of shit. He's 0-2. Um, but he had no quit in him in this one, just pushing into him over and over again, trying to elevate him, but eventually, literally Paul Varlins just pushes him and gets on top of him, um, in top position, starts pounding him out even more. Um, chemo ends up trying to throw up an arm bar, uh, but Paul's just punching him big shots just over and over again. But Kimo's a dog, man. Kimo's a dog. Like, Paul Paul has been up top now for, like, seven minutes and just cracking him over and over again. And he's still in it. Even though he's not doing much, um, he's holding position. Um, but 
he's trying to time him. Like every time Paul throws a shot, he's trying to counter him from the ground and punch him in the face, which is so weird. Uh, once again, just speaking of disadvantage, disadvantageous body positions. There we go. I'm, I'm getting these words out, even though it's a little late tonight. I'm getting these words out correctly. Um, <laughs> oh, man, I love this show. I have so much fun with it. Um, so once again, just getting battered. Like, even though he has no quit, even though he's throwing back, it doesn't really feel like there's much hope for him in this fight. Uh, but you see Varlin's again a little tired. You know, the, the strikes are coming a little less frequently. And things get interesting. Uh, so Paul sort of falls over to the side a little bit. And when I first saw him fall, I had to rewind it. Because it looked like he was asleep. Like, it looked like he got submitted. So I was like, what, what happened? And I, I, I look it back. I look at it back. And I'm realizing it was just a sweep. It just sort of off-balanced him. And it made him look like he was going to bed because he was just laying head first on the canvas. Uh, but obviously he wasn't going to sleep. Um, and Kimo sort of ends up in this position where imagine this, because it's hard, it's hard for me to explain exactly the position they were in, but Paul's up against the fence sort of folded over this way. So the fence is here. This is Paul Varlins and Kimo is facing this way almost as if like he was attacking a belly down arm bar, like his, his entire torso is facing the mat, but he's in the air like on top of Paul Varlins. It's a little hard to understand. Look up the, the replay, please. But he ends up on top in that position. Obviously he's not attacking an arm bar, but that's sort of the most reminiscent position that I could uh, try to explain to you guys. And he postures up. And I'm like, no way. Like, there's no way. And this dude just starts hammering Paul Varlins with big shots that gets the corner to throw in the towel and gets Big John to stop it at nine minutes and eight seconds. This was a tale of two fights. A guy that never quit. Refused to lose a third time in the octagon. And gets the win, man. Shout out to Kimo. That fight was freaking nuts. It wasn't the most exciting fight. Don't get me wrong. Very visceral. Like, Paul Varland was really beating the crap out of him. Until he wasn't. Um, so, one of the best comebacks in the UFC up to this point, if you ask me. Now we're on to the semifinals. So, Steve Nelmark ends up replacing Ken Shamrock, who got injured earlier in the night to come up against David Tank Abbott. Both men come out orthodox, and they land a jab at the exact same time, but Tank cracks him. And you see um, Nelmark sort of is doing that bit, almost like Johnny Walker did this last weekend, where you get hit, and you're like trying to grab something so that you don't fall. <laughs> and he's like, backpedaling trying to find the cage um so he was rocked and tank chases right in uh pins him up against the fence locks the hands and just picks him up over his head for a huge takedown 
like over his head, slams him and throws all his body weight on Steve's head. Like I thought just from the impact of that slam that that Steve would be knocked out. That's how crazy that takedown is. Like once again, Tank Abbott's strength is crazy and people do not give him credit on the technical end of things in the wrestling and in his ability to land those double legs consistently. It's not just a one-off with him. Like he, he does this often, um, which is something that I never would have understood about his game. If I never watched these fights, like it, it was always billed as he's a big puncher and he knocks people out and he comes in to bang, which is true, but his wrestling is really underrated. Um, so I thought, I thought I share that, uh, but he tries to capitalize on that takedown, but Nelmark gets up quickly. But you can see he's still not all there. And Tank is throwing. He sees blood in the water. He's throwing big shots. But they're glancing. They're, they're not landing flush. Steve is sort of rolling with them. Not in a voluntary way. Like, he's rocked still. Um, but he's not. He's moving with the punches. He's preventing himself from getting cracked big and staying on his feet. Almost comically, like I'm, I'm like just sort of waiting for the shot and Tank separates and lands just a bomb of a right hand that quite literally folded Steve Nelmark. Uh, this is the infamous KO. I'm sure you've all seen the clip where he's doing the five G's like Mirko Krokop did. And his neck is on the fence this way too. So he's literally bundled up like, I don't even, like, literally like a lawn chair um, at one minute and three seconds, just out cold um, that Big John had to, like, unfold him in order to lay him down and let him recover properly. Uh, this guy is freaking scary. Like, always since I've watched him fight in the UFC, unpredictable and terrifying. That's who... Tank Abbott is. All right. The final semifinal bout of the night. We have Mark Hall standing in at six foot eight, 189 pounds. And you're wondering, how is he in this spot? Well, he ended up replacing Chemo after that brutal fight with Paul Varlins. Uh, so once again, the tournament format just failing us, you know, not giving us the matchups we want because people can't make it. <laughs> but He's up against Don Fry, who's standing at six foot, 217. Both men start off in orthodox. Hall runs over, lands a right hand, but not too flush, you know, not, not a big connection. Uh, but they tie up on the feet, and it looks to me, I've watched it back a couple times. Let me know if you think otherwise. But it looks to me like he pulls guard on Don Fry, which, why? Uh, Fry drops down for a leg lock, Ken Shamrock style, and gets it at 20 seconds of the first round. Don Fry is that dude, the predator. He's got an eight-second knockout and now a 20-second submission. Um, one of the most decorated UFC fighters up to this point, if you ask me. And now he's in the finals um, against Tank fucking Abbott. A matchup that we've been waiting to see for a long time now. So I had to look back because for some reason I thought this fight happened already. 
Like I was like, is this the second time they fought? But no, it's not. It's the first time they fought. And buckle in. That's all I gotta say. Buckle in. So both men come out in orthodox, uh, testing their jab, both of them. And Tank just drops down Fry with the jab, dude. With the jab. Sends him reeling back to the other side of the fence again. This is two fights in a row now where jab really hurt his opponent. And two fights in a row that Don Fry was hurt by a jab. Well, sorry, I misspoke. Mark Hall fight notwithstanding. Um, but Tank lands two more jabs that has Fry really wobbled, but somehow is still standing his ground. And they have this sort of Max Holloway, uh, Ricardo Lamas moment where they just go toe to toe and they're just swanging, like swanging and banging. Um, both guys landing big shots and eventually Tank buzzes him again with the hook. You see Fry, like, he looks like he's out on his feet, like he's falling into the clinch. And while Tank starts backing up to sort of, and, and really technical too, like he backs up and then stands his ground to land a punch and then keeps backing up. So he's sort of sticking him as he's falling forward in a really technical way, like Tank Abbott showed the fuck up this tournament. I just got to say, respect to the man. Um, but somehow in this sort of scramble where Fry's pushing forward and Tank's reeling back, Tank trips and falls to the ground and Fry jumps right on him. And the first thing he does, and I don't think Big John saw it, but he goes right across and grabs the fence and literally pulls himself into back mount because of the fence. Like <laughs> he pulls himself into, into that spot um, and has the choke. Uh, Tank is able to defend it for a little bit, um, but he ends up locking it up again to no avail. And that's it, dude. What a freaking comeback, man. This guy, Don Fry, does it again. Three-time world tournament champion in the UFC. Got this one, this submission victory at a minute and 22 seconds. Just shocking stuff. Like, this guy was dead in the water, if you ask me. He looked done. And somehow was able to snatch that victory, man, from the jaws of defeat. Um, I have so much respect for Don Fry. If you don't like Don Fry, you're going to get a sty in your mama's eye. That's all I got to say. That's all I got to say. I'll leave it at that. Thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. I hope you're enjoying where the show is heading. I got something really exciting for you guys coming soon. I got an episode that we're going to record the entire reactions live um, and sort of see how that plays out with my boy Eric Betts fights. So shout out to him. Please check out his Twitter, check out all his stuff. He has a YouTube channel as well, where he posts breakdowns weekly um, with recaps as well, sort of going over his picks, explaining his picks. This guy's going to make you some money. Uh, if you if you tell his picks, he's going to make you some money because he does his research and he explains them every week. So please check out Eric Betts fights. He's going to be on the show again next week. So I'm really excited about that uh, to cover what he says is his favorite event in UFC history, UFC 12. So I'm very excited to watch this one. Obviously, I'm still coming into it clean. I'm not watching it. 
Um, so you guys are going to get to see how I react to these events without any notes. Because obviously, you know, I, I got my notes here. Um, I already watched it usually when I record these podcasts. But next time, you're going to see me watch it live. So thank you so much, guys. I love what I do because of you. I just want to say that. Um, the fact that I've been able to interact with so many of you, meet so many of you, and now I've got somebody coming on the show. It's just been so, so much fun for me. So thank you so much for sticking with me. Looking forward to that. And I hope you all have a good one. Check me out on Twitter at Negron MMA. Check me out on Instagram at Chris Negron underscore. Check out the OTS Media Instagram page, man. We've got a lot going on over there. A betting tips that I'm going to be getting into more regularly. I just got a lot going on right now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got a lot going on right now. I'm trying to stay on top of it all. Uh, but I love you guys. Thank you so much for the support again. And I'll catch you guys next time.